Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Amen. Well, we're in the second week of series we're calling Jesus Said What? Um, because there are some things that are surprising that Jesus said. And honestly, when you look in context, they were very surprising. You and I who've been raised in Christian culture and Christian life for a while, um, we don't get the full gut punch that sometimes the the original audience, um, they just got massively surprised by some of the things that Jesus said. But we're going through the series, not just for us to understand the scriptures better, understand historical context better, but to prime our hearts. We're spending seven weeks on this to prime our hearts because my next step in Christ, your next step in Christ is going to be determined by how you and I respond to the hard things the Holy Spirit says to us. Because guess what? You and I are kind of in our places because we're comfortable there. Whether we really like it or we don't like it, we're there because of the decisions we've made, the thought perspectives we have. And to get out of that space, to step from glory to glory, we're going to have to respond to some of the challenging things the Holy Spirit says to us. So the whole point of this series is just for you and I to get used to the idea that sometimes God says some things, the scriptures say some things, the Holy Spirit whispers some things that are a little bit hard for us to initially embrace. And so if you've got your bulletin, you've got your Bible app, let's go ahead and jump into this. We're going to lead off with this idea in all seven weeks that some of the things Jesus said were totally shocking because they were looking at them totally wrong. And the truth is, that's why you and I have problems with some of the things the Holy Spirit says. He is truth. He embodies truth. But you and I still will bow up against the truth because we hang on to our own truth. We're looking at it wrong and we're convinced of it for a reason. We didn't just arbitrarily come up with it. We were convinced of it for a reason. And the more entrenched our, our ideas are, it's, there's more data, experience, and emotion connected to it. And if we're going to be transformed, if we're going to shift, we've got to let that begin to come out. And we have to keep in mind we have to keep in mind why Jesus came to begin with. And let's look at John three seventeen. It reminds us of this, that for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anytime the Holy Spirit says something to you that's challenging, it's not to condemn you. The enemy will come in and begin to get in your ear and try to condemn you and to, and to make you feel terrible and less than because of it. That's not the reason the Holy Spirit brought it up. That's not the reason that that came up. It's because we, he wants to be able to set you free from it. He wants to bring life. He wants to bring salvation. He wants to save you sometimes from yourself save you from your own choices and your own patterns. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that we have to look at every word of Jesus, every action of Jesus, everything the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the lens that he came 
to bring restoration. He came to bring salvation. And if we'll keep that in mind, we'll we'll roll with it, even when it's challenging, even when it's a little tough to hear. We'll roll with it because we'll get that he's trying to bring life to us. He's trying to bring salvation into our lives, that that was his purpose, that was his reason, that was his why. But sometimes you and I bow up against that because we've had some experiences where we thought we understood the why and we ended up with an unpleasant experience. It didn't go, it didn't match the why. And the reason we showed up or the reason that things happened wasn't because of the original and purpose wasn't lived out. But Jesus always lived out his purpose. But inside of Cutie and I's first month of marriage, um, and in fact, it was our, it was, we'd been married 25 days when this happened. And uh, so it was still very much in the honeymoon period. I was still very much Superman to her. I, just, I was fantastic and awesome. All the big bonehead stuff I would do as a husband, that was all in the future at this point. And so it was still just all was good. So, and um, I was working for a really great guy here in San Angelo, really great, a really great guy. And we were going to have a, a business meeting at his house because he had started a side business and had put me in charge of it. At a tender age of 20 years old, I was being put in charge of this, uh, of this business, and I was uh, an a boss for the first time in my life. I had employees and people to fire and hire and all that kind of fun stuff. And I was new at all that. And so we were having a meeting at his house to discuss this thing and this business. And so on the way there, Cutie is, you know, it's a short ride from our apartment to this guy's house. And so Again, we're in our first 25 days of marriage, okay? She's got no context, no reason to say this as we are on the way. But she's on the way there. She says, please do not make them ask us to leave their house. I was like, what? I've never been asked to leave anybody's house. I've never sat there and someone's gone like, oh, yeah, uh, Brandon, don't you think you're getting tired? Isn't it time for you to mosey on? I've never been asked, I've never been asked to leave somebody's house. It never happened. She had never experienced it. She had never been tagging along with me. And all of a sudden we get asked, uh, yeah, it's, it's time for y'all to leave. Please, please get out of our home. Um, never happened. And so she tells me that, please do not make them uh, tell us to leave their home. I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, it's never happened. We're good. <laughs> not going to happen. So we get over there and to have our uh, have our conversation about business. But when we walk into their home, they're on the television, which is why I remember it was January 25th of 1994, was because the State of the Union address was on TV. And my, one of my secular degrees is government. And I was at ASU, a government student at ASU. So I was obviously interested in the State of the Union address. And he had a political bent. He was interested in the State of the Union address. He was already watching it. So we come in. Cutie didn't give a rip about the State of the Union address. And so we sit there and we start talking about what, you know, the talking points. And we're just going back and forth about this. And we talk about it. And we're, that's what we're talking about. We never discussed business. That was the whole reason we showed up. 
And then right at, all of a sudden, at some point in our discussion about politics, he looks at me and says, well, let me be the first to tell you good night. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the fact that I was being asked to leave someone's home and I couldn't believe my wife knew it was gonna happen. <laughs> like how, how did you know this was gonna happen? And so I could just feel her eyes boring into the side of my head. We get up, just, just walk, walk a shame out of their house. They're removing us from their home. And, and so, and we get into the car and thankfully, it was a quiet ride. <laughs> she sat over there in her rightness, but I could feel it. I could feel that she didn't have to say a word. She just sat there and I was just like, I'm so sorry. I cannot believe that that just happened. But it, it was shocking because why we were there, it never transpired. It never transpired. It never came about. Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. Jesus came and he lived his purpose. He is living his purpose right now. The grave could not stop his purpose, couldn't hold his purpose. He came to bring salvation. He never got off course. He never said, let me be the first to tell you I'm retired. Let me be the first to tell you I'm done. No, he said, guess what? He came to bring salvation and he is still bringing salvation. And we have to look at everything he said through the lens of him bringing salvation. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 43. We're setting up one of the challenging things Jesus said. But first off, we need to look at this. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And we're going to pause right there because he said, you have heard that it was said. He didn't say it is written, even though part of that was written. Part of it was written. He said, you've heard that it was said. So somehow along the way, this saying had come about to love your, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, let's look and see where maybe the love your neighbor thing came from. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. It says, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It was written, love your neighbor as yourself. But somehow the saying had become, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, as everybody began to track forward, they recognized, yeah, there are times I love people and times I don't. Then there's people I actually hate. So what am I gonna, what am I gonna do with this hate thing? Well, that, that love your neighbor, that love your neighbor in verse 18, that came right before verse 17. It says, did not hate your fellow Israelites. Well, if it gave me the parameter of what, who I'm not supposed to hate, then there must be room for me to hate somebody. I can't hate my fellow Israelites, but I can hate those who are outside of Israel, those who are my enemy. Hmm. I can hate them. And so they just began to become a saying, love your neighbor, according to Leviticus 19, and hate your enemy. 
But that was not what the scripture said. That was not what God said. But it became such a normal saying that Jesus utilizes this in this space. And in fact, we're going to go ahead and jump on over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 again. It says, but you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're going to pause right there. Because as we read this, you and I do not feel what those Hebrew, Jewish, Israelite people felt when Jesus said, love your enemy. We can't feel it. Because thankfully, you and I don't live in the context that they live in. Praise God, we do not have a foreign occupying army sitting here in San Angelo with people and soldiers downtown and on the street corners, someone coming in and checking on us and seeing if what's coming out of my mouth is stirring up a rebellion, somebody with a gun or multiple people with guns standing at the back of the room just making sure we're doing right and everything that we're talking about is nice and civil. That was what they lived with. They were occupied by Rome. These Roman soldiers would come in and they would collect these extra taxes. They would go into these local businesses and get extra money. In fact, Jesus rebukes them and says, hey, soldiers, you don't need to extract money and extort people. You need to be okay with the pay Rome gives you when he speaks to them. Why? Because the normal practice is they were coming in and using their place of power. In fact, they had such power as Roman citizens that they were allowed to, if, when any occupied people, that if they were carrying a load, they were allowed to get some random Jewish person. Didn't matter what was going on in their day, didn't matter what, was, what they were doing or where they were headed, but to say, you know what, I'm tired of carrying this load, you're going to carry this load. And by Roman law, they could force them to carry their load one mile. They forced them to carry it one mile. They couldn't make them do it all day. They couldn't turn them into an all-day servant. But they said, nope, you're going to carry this for me for a mile. And as Jesus is talking to these people and he says, you're supposed to love your enemies. These are people who have their enemies breathing down their neck every day, all day, inconveniencing their life taking part of their profits. There were soldiers listening to what Jesus had to say because anytime a group of people came together, word would get out and some Roman soldier would come and stand on the edge to see if they were stirring up a rebellion, if all of a sudden there was something gonna happen. So that there were people, there were the Roman soldiers, the one who they were supposed to love was listening. Everything was in them. It was like, Jesus, don't, don't say that we're to love our enemies. They, they can hear you. They can hear you say that. No, we're not. We can't do that. Praise God, you and I don't live under that kind of a life. But the enemies that Jesus was telling these people to love were people who wielded real authority, who abused that authority in every way that you can think of authority can be abused. And Jesus said, I want you to love them. In fact, 
as they persecute you, I want you to pray for them. I want you to lift them up. These Jews who are looking for Messiah to come and to be king and to push off that. That was the last thing in the world they wanted to hear. The last thing in the world they wanted to hear was to love your enemy. You and I, praise God, we hear it from the thing of love the person who spread that rumor about you. And you know what? It hurts. I get it. I'm not downplaying that pain. Somebody spreads a rumor about you, creates problems at the office or inside your family. Somebody ruins your name or ruins a relationship. It hurts. I get that. But there's a space where when Jesus dropped this bomb on them, whenever you drop this truth of love your enemies, these were people who had real enemies right there in their face every single day. But he says, pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. Why? Because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Those are the the Jews they despise the most because the tax collectors weren't Romans. They were Jewish people who who then basically sold their kindred out for a little extra money. They were despised people. It says, even the most despicable people among you, don't they do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That one little verse has been abused for centuries. Many translations say, be holy, therefore, as your heavenly Father is holy, which is perfect. It, it is unsoiled. It is exactly what it should have always been, which is what holy is. Nothing's tainting it. So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you know you were designed to love? You were designed by God in his image to love, to care to be able to respond in this kind of way. And sin has come in and marred us. Sin, our own and the sin of others has come in and has marred that image, has brought the imperfection the, and taken the, the holiness away from who you and I are really called to be. And the holiness is he's calling is not measured in some sort of length of your skirt or some sort of outward thing or any of this legalistic things, the the perfection that he is saying, be perfect, be holy, like your heavenly father is holy, is in this place of love, of beginning to actually love the way we were designed by him to love. That's where this begins to be lived out. That's the context, what this is 100%, what this is it, what this is about. Because when it's all said and done, our response is not based on them, it's based on him. That's what it's about. You and I, we have Jesus Christ is Lord. So we let him guide our decisions. See, the truth is, as soon as we let someone who's an enemy in our lives begin to be a place of hate to where we begin to respond, we've now let them dictate how we're going to act. And in that place, they've become Lord. Your enemy has become your Lord. 
Jesus wants to set us free from that. He wants us to be able to have one Lord. And the only way that that takes place is when we begin to respond to his call and his command to love the way he's called us to love. And we don't let those who persecute us, who attack us, who vilify us, who lie about us, who do all those different things determine how we're going to respond. We're still going to be the people God has called us to be. See, radical love is the only thing that's going to break the cycle of hate and destruction. And over and over again, we see it. Hate and destruction, hate and destruction, hate and destruction. That's, that's the definition of war. It's just an attack and a retaliation. Attack and a retaliation. It happens over and over and over again. And love is the only thing that's going to break it. See, in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You and I have benefited from this thing of loving your enemies because God started it. While you and I were enemies to God, he loved us first. He responded to us with love first. That's why you and I can now begin to believe to step into that kind of love is because that's what has changed our lives. See, I want us to do a a quick little exercise right quick. Right now, I want you to just think about heaven and I want you to think about what the the faces that you're going to meet in heaven. I want you to just think about it right quick. Just think about heaven and the faces and the people you're going to meet in heaven. Okay, if you're anything like me, the faces that immediately came to your mind, you didn't even have to put any real deep thought into it, are people who that went before you, have already passed, that you, that you love. Maybe some grandparents, some of you, maybe it's it, sadly some, 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 some peers, some friends, a loved one who died too soon, that there's a space where you're, you're already hungry for heaven because that person is already there. But if you're like me, when you think about heaven and the faces you're gonna see in heaven, they're your friends and family, they're, they're your loved ones. And that's natural, it's, it's normal, that's why we respond, we're, we're excited about that. But let's think about when God first dreamed up heaven. When God thought about heaven and, and creating salvation through Jesus and bringing about the full salvation work and, and heaven being populated. In fact, in Revelations, it tells us that around God's throne is a sea of humanity that no person can number that amount of people. Okay, that means it's not just a handful of people getting into heaven. There's a lot of people, and there's some big numbers in the Bible, but this one says the, the people in heaven are more than anybody can count. That's pretty amazing. I'm excited about that. But when God began to get that vision in his heart, but God began to do that, according to this scripture that says that, that while we were enemies, Christ pursued us, Christ died for us. God brought salvation. Then when God first thought about heaven, it was populated with his enemies. When God first dreamed up heaven, the faces he was excited about seeing there were the faces of his enemies, of seeing things transformed, seeing things turned around. You and I, the the people who have hurt us, we don't think about seeing them in heaven. In fact, 
In fact, there's some people who get upset at the grace of God because there's somebody who hurt you or hurt somebody you love so bad you want that offender to be in hell forever. You want them in hell. And the idea that maybe they could have embraced the grace of God and be in heaven with you makes you mad because the offense is so deep and the wound was so bad and what they did to your loved one or to you was so heinous that you hang on to eternal judgment for that person. When really God's hope, his heart, is for forgiveness for them, just like it was for you. That's his hope that Jesus died for them. But God's view of heaven, was it populated with his enemies? Let's look at Luke. Woo, chapter nine. I'm gonna have to hurry. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him for he who is not against us is on our side. This is some, some guy is casting out a demon. There's somebody that had a demon and they cast it out, and the guy doesn't have a demon anymore. That's awesome. That is a win. And they saw that happen, but because he he wasn't hanging out with them, they're like, don't do that anymore. What? Yeah, because you're not part of us. You're not with us. Don't do that. No, 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 no. Jesus has to rebuke them. And Jesus said, do not forbid them, for he who is against us is on our side. Folks, no wonder you and I have a hard time loving your enemies. We can't even love the people who are pretty much on our side. We can't even love the people who are just pretty much mostly with us. There's maybe a little point of distinction. Maybe we don't hang out all the time. Maybe there's a a little point uh, that we don't exactly agree. And man, we'll get all up in each other's grill over that stuff. No wonder we can't love our enemies. We can't even love the people who are pretty much going along with us. It says, and then verse 51, it says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, who John would later on just write about the love of God and embrace the love of God so deeply. But when James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Okay, now first off, they got the Elijah story wrong. They've already, they, they've already blown it because Elijah didn't call down fire to consume people. Elijah called down fire to consume an an offering on an altar. That is what Elijah called down fire. But James and John are said, you know what? These people wouldn't receive you. We went in to to hype you up and say, man, Jesus is about to show up. And they didn't didn't receive it. And so guess what? Um, If you'll let us, we'll just barbecue them. (laughs) We'll just torch the whole town. Give us some Holy Spirit flamethrowers and we'll we'll just get rid of it. And man, that was just how quickly they went in with all sorts of good news. Oh, Jesus is coming. God loves you. Oh, you don't want to? Okay, you can die. (laughs) Wish you were dead. What? But how many times has the church responded that way? 
share the good news. People didn't say, share the God love you that didn't respond in a loving way. I'm like, well, forget you then. I want you in my church anyways. I want you in my life anyways. No, that's exactly what James and John did. And in verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know the manner of spirit you're of. You don't know the spirit you're of. I love it that God didn't say you're of the wrong spirit. Nope, they're still of the same spirit. They just forgot what that spirit was about. And folks, that's where you and I get off. It's not that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has departed from us. It's the fact we forget the Holy Spirit's on the inside of us. And we don't respond according to the spirit on the inside of us. We forget what spirit we are of. And so Jesus goes on to say, for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went on to another village. He reminded them of his purpose. He came to save. Again, our response is not based on them. Our response is based on him. So as we close... I want us to understand this truth that real love fights for the good of those who can't see that they need love. We got to fight for the good of those who can't see that they even need love. You know, somebody's having a rough day and they come up and say, man, I've had a hard day. I need somebody to talk to. I could just use a hug. And we're, we're quick to respond to that. But that same person could be having that same bad day and they begin to be sharp and reclusive and, and push back. And man, we don't pour out that same love. They both, they, need, they both need love. They both had a rough day. They've both been blindsided by life. They both need love. One of them recognizes they need love and the other one doesn't recognize they need love. But both of them do. And we're called to pour out love on both, in both directions. Luke chapter 23 This is Jesus' death on the cross. It says, and when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They're killing him and he's forgiving them. They're killing him and he is interceding and praying to the Father for their forgiveness they would have been convinced they didn't need any forgiveness. None of them said, oh, yes, I'm so glad I'm being forgiven for this because this is terrible what I'm doing with these nails. This is terrible what I'm doing with a spear. This is terrible what I'm doing with this crown of thorns. No, they thought they were doing right. They didn't know they needed forgiveness and Jesus interceded and pled forgiveness and they didn't even know it. In fact, look how they responded. Jesus prays this amazing prayer and says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And it says, and they're casting lots. They're playing a game. Playing a game, trying to get his stuff. And he is forgiving them. Just because we act right doesn't mean they're all of a sudden going to act right. Just because we do the right thing that honors God and, and doesn't mean it's going to change the immediate outcome. They continue to ignore. They continue, but we're called to this. And you're like, but that's Jesus. But guess what? The same spirit is on the inside of us. Let's quickly look at Acts chapter 7. It says, but Stephen, full of the spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, 
I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later on name would be changed to Paul. And we would read a bunch of his writings and what he does. And while they were stoning him, while he's being hit with rocks, being the life snuffed from him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Do not hold this sin against them. They are actively doing it. It is happening. It's not that they have walked away. It's not that they've stopped. They've shown a little repentance. Now I'm going to want forgiveness. No, they're doing it. It's real time. They're, they're attacking, and he's interceding with forgiveness with every attack. That is what loving our enemies looks like. It doesn't mean when we love our enemies, all of a sudden they're going to quit being our enemies. All it is is our enemies can't turn us into something less than what God's called us to be. Our bottom line is our response. It's not based on them. It's based on him. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.